Hello to everyone tuning into the Highly Optimized Podcast today. My name is Ryan Sprague, and throughout this podcast, I will be showcasing conscious leaders who are living a life beat to their own drum, sharing their stories, and revealing their valuable information for you listeners on how you can effectively take life into your own control, what steps to take to create your own path, and how to maximize your ability to lead and manifest your dreams in this reality. A field that is one of my biggest passions in life that is also simultaneously exploding in popularity over the last 10 years is that of cannabis. The challenge within this boom, however, is that more and more corporate entities with a lack of understanding of what cannabis truly is and what its purpose is in this world are cashing in on this boom and driving out opportunities for the true cannabis stewards to have a piece of the pie that is the cannabis industry. Today's guest is one of my dear friends and brothers, someone who has a true passion for this plant and someone that is revolutionizing the cannabis industry here in Boston. He is a world-class cannabis expert, having worked in the professional industry alongside myself for many years, is the vice president of the Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery, is the New England Cannabis Convention 2021 Massachusetts Activist of the Year, and is the founder and owner of Rolling Relief, which is a social equity certified, black-owned cannabis delivery operator in the cannabis industry here in Massachusetts. Trust me when I say that this episode holds a special place in my heart, as this gentleman and I have seen firsthand what can happen when the cannabis industry is taken over by people who do not hold this plant in high regard, and therefore how important it is for people that do in fact worship and respect this plant to stand up, fight for what they believe in, and show the world what true cannabis culture is all about. So please give me a hand in welcoming my man, Devin Alexander, to the show. Devin, welcome, bro. Thank you. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure to be here. It's long overdue. It's great to see you. Hell yeah, man. You know, I'm back in Massachusetts for a minute, so I had to make this happen, bro, before you took off to LA. <laughs> I know, I know. It's um, very rare to catch you, so I'm excited for this one. Yeah, man. And I'm super pumped, man, because like, I obviously know plenty about your story. We worked alongside at the same dispensary, which we won't name, you know, we'll be respectful, but you know, those who know, know. And uh, we saw a lot of amazing things happen there. We were part of a really cool movement, a really cool family that did a lot of very unique stuff. You know, a lot of people that were very passionate about cannabis. And then we had the opportunity to experience the other side, right? What happens when people that do not respect their workers take over and they do things on their own accord uh, in the same way that they ran their finance industry or their real estate industry, right? And the repercussions that happen as a result of that. And so I'm really excited to get into all this with you, man. And, you know, a great place that I love to start, especially knowing your journey and how impactful that is and how amazing of a story it is, you know, bring us through like how you first got introduced to cannabis. You know, when you were younger, I know you had a challenge with the law, bring us through that and really like how you got into the industry and really what you're doing now. Yeah, definitely. So I'm a lifelong resident of Massachusetts. I've lived in Quincy, Mass my entire life. And both my parents were avid cannabis consumers and both my grandparents as well. So I was really around cannabis and knew what it was before I actually knew what it was. Um, it was really predetermined. I was going to be involved in cannabis in some sort of way. And that's what my mom always tells me. But um I never in a million years dreamed I could really make a serious profession out of it. You know, growing up, the movies that would come out, Half-Baked, um, How High, I would watch those hundreds of times and really just <laughs> listening to like Ludacris and a whole bunch of other rappers that would always just glorify cannabis, you know, and everybody in my family never said anything bad about it. So I never thought there was anything wrong with it. It was always the people outside of my family who would always try to demonize it. So throughout the years... I started selling weed. I started smoking lots of weed and gets up to the point 
where, you know, in high school, my senior year, that's when um, I got arrested for minor cannabis possession, mm. you know, and I had uh, intentions of joining the Air Force at that time, too. And so I didn't take the SATs, never applied to any colleges because I was so sure that the Air Force was my path at that point in time. And so really, that whole arrest derailed my future. I had to really think on my feet and really think to myself what my next step was going to be, you know. So I took some time off and then I finally enrolled at a local community college right here in Quincy, Quincy College. And I got an associate's degree in psychology. Then I realized um, if I want to do anything in psychology, you're going to need way more than associates. And that's when I really had to ask myself the question, how passionate are you about psychology? You really want to commit this much more time and money to it and really just deal with other people's problems. And I really told myself that's not what I want to do. <laughs> so I looked on snagajob.com, trying to find a respectable job and something that would just get people off my back and stop asking me, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? Cause I, I literally had no idea at any point during my high school career or college career, what I really wanted to do with my life because, you know, cannabis dispensaries did not exist at that point in time. Mm. The industry was non-existent here in Massachusetts. So I, I always thought I would have to uproot my life and go move across the country if I wanted to want to have a profession in cannabis. So I came across the job of a pharmacy technician at CVS Pharmacy. And I looked at it and they said it was a trainee position, you know, um, they'll train you on the job. Everything that you need to know, you'll just get paid and learn as you go. So I was like, all right, how bad could it be? And so I started... <laughs> Famous last words. Exactly. <laughs> I started in uh, January of like 2016. And um, it's wintertime. It's the new year when everyone's insurance is changing over. So I got torn to shreds by people. Hmm. They would just written me apart. I got, <laughs> I got called every name in the book. Um, all the stuff that was not my fault, but I was just still learning and I just had no idea, you know, just on my feet all day, making $11 an hour. And, um, I didn't have a car back then. So I had to take two buses to go to work, one out of Hasnack, then another one to go, um, in Braintree right by Archie's. That's of CVS. I worked there. Mm. So I'm waking up five, six AM, <laughs> taking two buses, standing on my feet just to get yelled at all day for $11. And like, I just needed to do so. I just didn't know what to know. I just needed time to think what I was going to do. So I just had to go through the motions and really got to a point where, um, I thought I was going to be stuck there. I thought that like, damn, this is my life now. Hmm. Just kind of be dealing with this forever. And then, but that reality, that's what really stuck in, you know, and I was like, you see, you got a choice, man. You see that you're stuck here doing this. So you find the next best thing. And at that time, that's when cannabis really started coming off the ground in Massachusetts you know, the medical program surely started coming to fruition. And so uh, I knew I wanted to be a bud tender. I was like, all right, my skills that I learned here at the pharmacy, they could transition very well to working in a dispensary. So I took some online classes at Cannabis Training University, and then I tailor-made my resume to look attractive to a dispensary, like they would want to take me in. And so I would start to go to conventions in person by myself with my resume and meet people. I went down to Providence, Rhode Island, up to Portland, Maine, even out to Springfield and Western Mass, you know, just trying to get my face seen, just trying to be known, just trying to get my foot in the door, anything I can do to get out of the pharmacy. And, um, you know, there's a dispensary right here in my hometown of Quincy, which we won't name, but <laughs> we, I, I knew three people that worked there before I started working there. And one of them was, um, uh, one of my buddy's girlfriends, Jen Correa. And she was, um, the one who got me in, you know, so I hit her up a bunch of times, actually. Mm -hmm. 
asking me to get me a job there, but she said they weren't hiring, they're not hiring, they're not hiring them. Um, it got to the point so much where I thought she just didn't like me. I'm like, I'm, 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 a, I'm a good person. I'm an awesome person, man. Like, I'm a good worker. I'll bust my balls for something I'm passionate about. You're like, I'm not here doing this for a pharmacy. Measure yeah. what I'll do in a dispensary. Are you crazy? And so... One day I'm in CVS, just counting up pills, and she hits me up on Facebook Messenger. She's like, hey, we're hiring. You know, send me your resume. Um, send me a cover letter, and we'll get it sent over. Did all that. Got a response within 48 hours. Got an in- interview, and then I got hired right on the spot. Mm. You know, it was perfect. Um, everything that I did in the pharmacy really prepared me very well to work in the dispensary. Mm. Dude, that's beautiful, man. And you know, it's so funny too, because, you know, you were talking about, you know, those same movies that I used to watch, right? And, you know, How High, Half-Baked, uh, you know, Friday, like all these movies that, you know, really cast cannabis as like this kind of like thing that stupid people used, right? Like things that people that had really no job, no plan used, right? And, you know, I remember like really thinking about that and and really like kind of falling in line with that, right? Like not necessarily having like, you know, a strong belief about it, but just kind of being like, all right, that's not for me, right? And uh, that is like the the importance and the value of having people like your family that helped you normalize that, right? Because when you're able to normalize that, you know, it ends up with you like, this is one of the biggest things I, I you know, that I would share with parents when I worked at the dispensary. They'd be like, how do I tell my kids? I'm like, you tell them it's a medicine just like anything else and it's a tool and you talk to them about it, right? And you don't make it this taboo thing because the more that you try to tell, like this is basic psychology of an adolescent, right? The more you try to tell an adolescent not to do something, the more they're going to want to rebel. So you tell them, yeah, this is a medicine and this is why you would interact with it and this is why it's not right for you at this age, right? And But hey, if you're ever curious about it, come to me and I'll tell you more about it, right? Make it a, a talkable uh, conversation, right? Like make it a conversation to be had. It's so important. Exactly. And that's why education is very key in all this. When I was leaving the pharmacy and I would tell my regulars at the pharmacy that I was going to go work at a dispensary, they gave me a disgusted look. Like I just told them some very wrong stuff. They're like, I hope you're not <laughs> going to be trying any of the products. I'm like, oh, yes. Yes, I am. Um, yeah. like, like, do you know what we're selling here in the, dispens- in the pharmacy? Are you yeah. crazy? Do you really really know what we're selling the people here? Like, yeah. and, you, and you have problems with a dispensary? That's all part of the stigma and all just goes into it, I guess. Um, and it's tough, too, because there's a lot of marketing restrictions on cannabis businesses here. So mm. they can't have the information as readily available as most other sources. But mm. it was crazy when I got into the dispensary I was very content with just being a bud tender. I never really had aspirations of being a business owner right off the rip, you know, and working my way up to finally being director of community outreach. Started putting on events with yourself, you know, you were, you were there the whole time. Yes, and, sir. and so being from Quincy and, you know, getting paid by a cannabis business to do community cleanups, do fundraisers, um, do food drives, do book drives for the prison book program. We went, me and you, went and delivered those books right across, right across the street, yes. right over there in the church, right in the basement, in the rain. You yeah. know? <laughs> Uphill both ways. Yeah. And it's like, we, it was just great to make a difference. You know, it was, I never pictured myself as a business owner. Um, it was really my mother who instilled the confidence in me. And she was the one who told me, like, you dev, you know this game better than a lot of most people. Why don't you go for it? And it's crazy too, because that's at around the same time 
we did um, Expungement Day. So mm-hmm. myself and this fine gentleman, we put together <laughs> Quin- put together <laughs> Quincy's first Expungement Day, where we gave individuals the tools and the resources to remove nonviolent cannabis crimes from their criminal record, and we provided them with food and a cash bar. And we had a lot of guests there, um, even before they took off. Um, Kobe Evans and Kevin Hart, the first. Dispensary owners in Boston before they were even operational were in attendance. Um, that mean, meant a lot to me mm. for them to come out. That was before I even took a single social equity class. Now I was still just someone working at a dispensary. They came out and supported me. Mm-hmm. Tito Jackson, who um, had CEO of his own dispensary out in Faneuil Hall. Sohan Shen, who's now the manager over at MCI Labs. Uh, Darrell Black, who's now the general manager of at, um, Mellow and Haverhill. And it was literally the month before I started the equity program. So like just knowing I had that network of support before I even took off really helped build up the momentum to like, all right, you can get all, all these people to come out. You can make this event happen. All these people, most of the people were here because of you, you yeah. know, it wasn't just because like, you know, I don't know if you even cleared anyone's record that night but everybody came out you know like they they, they did like it was a great attendance Uh, i think it was like a weekday you know Mm -hmm. so it was a fun party building all that up and you know i think that's how you started doing this podcast because you came out that night dude that literally is how this podcast literally is how that came out you know Uh, magic mike and the boys yeah they came they came down and um i did a lot of talking that night so i I was like hey yeah interview ryan yeah and then here we are, two years later, uh, talking on the podcast about Dude. it. And uh, it's just really, a lot of stuff comes full circle in life because, you know, I was arrested and a Patriot Ledger put my name in the paper. And then when I did that event for Expungement Day, that same very paper put me on the front page. Mm. And it was like, that is like the full transformation, you know? And, and that's why it's so important. Like, there's so many different topics we could get into here. But the number one thing I want to say is that's why anyone listening, if you don't already tune out what the media says and and you've stopped and you haven't stopped watching the news, just stop doing it because they're just thirst traps, right? Like they put you in the paper as if you were this demon back in the day. And then the same person, now that this is legal and it's a legal industry, is now a hero, right? And so these people have no idea what the hell they're talking about. You know what I mean? They're just they're just going off of this corrupt law system and all this stuff. But that event was so fun and it was really like the beginning for both of us to really realize like Hey, you know, I choose to believe that everything in life happens for a reason, right? And there were a lot of amazing things that that dispensary we worked at did for us and allowed us to do. And one of the things that started becoming apparent to me around that time was that the decisions that were being made there were presenting a gift for both of us, right? Because it wasn't that, you know, these people are bad people or anything. It's just they weren't informed, right? They weren't cannabis people. And that's okay, right? But at the same time, we are, right? Like that's that's what our biggest passion was in life and still is in a, in a big way for both of us. I mean, definitely for both of us. And yeah. so that event was really great because like you were mentioning, that's where I met Shlomo and Shlomo was like, you should start a podcast. And I was like, doesn't everyone have a podcast though? He's like, dude, you should still start a podcast. I'm like, all right, cool. And best decision I ever made, right? And so that was such an amazing event because also, you know, one thing I really want to get into you about is true cannabis culture, right? Like what cannabis is all about? Because I think a lot of people, especially with, you know, legal cannabis being such a thing now and people, you know, going into dispensaries with suit and ties and all these things. And it's just, it's just cheesy, right? Cause it's like, guys, this is not what cannabis is about. Right. And I get it. It's fine. If you're an investor and you're excited, like, you know, the thing that I think the biggest challenges in the cannabis industries is that investors, uh, they have way too much say 
in, in what happens in a business. What an investor's role should be is, hey, I look at your, uh, your analytics. I give you money because you've proven you can make money. And now I'm going to step up and let you guys run it. Right. And I think the big challenge is these investors, you know, they give the money and they're like, well, now I want to be a part of it. And it's like, you ran from cannabis most of your life and you probably didn't handle in high school. Just give us the money and let us do our thing. Right. And so like, I really want to ask you, and this is an open-ended question, but you know, what do you see cannabis culture at, as like, when I say that, what immediately comes into your head, like family, anything like that? Cannabis culture really just my childhood. I saw mm. the first thing, the media first thing that comes to mind, just growing up smoking dirt weed, not knowing, <laughs> not, no, not knowing if it's indica, sativa, any of that stuff, not knowing the percentage of it, you know, um, not being any commissions, not being anything really, you know, people didn't care, you know, you like people have become spoiled now going into dispensaries, they're mm. chasing the THC numbers, they're looking for the indicas, they don't smoke this, they only smoke that, they only smoke pre-rolls. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, you'd only go to your guy and you'd get the same thing over and over again. You wouldn't talk back or else you wouldn't answer your phone call. Yeah. You were happy. <laughs> you were happy with it. You know, that's cannabis culture, the old school. And we lived through that and we helped create the culture. All of us, we were the ones out there selling those mids back in, <laughs> back, back in the early 2010s yeah. before question four passed, before the cannabis control commission existed, before Commonwealth dispensary association even came to fruition. We were the people getting arrested, creating petitions, passing the laws, helping build the culture you know, uh, Massachusetts is very different from California, obviously, because it's so much warmer in climates. Massachusetts cannabis culture is really going to set it the trend for the East Coast because we were the first to legalize for adult use on the East Coast. So mm. a lot of our surrounding states are looking at us for leadership and really just being a beacon of light. And that's really why delivery is so special because it's really not happening on the East Coast at all. Mm. So... That's where um, I think of the culture. Like the original weed man is delivery. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You would hit a PKI, <laughs> he would pull up to your house. You would never walk into a store and just buy things. You know, they have these dispensaries that look like Apple stores. Mm. That's not part of the culture at all. A bunch of white people bumping <laughs> reggae. It's not the fucking culture. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, you know, you know what that makes me think about too. It's like that classic example where, like, you know, uh, maybe someone listening, like my parents, happen to be actually really cool, and I imagine your parents they sounded pretty cool too. But I imagine someone listening knows this scenario where, like, someone whose parents are not typically like cool. They might be nice, but they're not cool. Come in and they're like, "Hey, what's up, cool kids? What are you guys getting into tonight?" And you're like, "Dad, please." Please stop. Holy shit. Right. That's the feeling I get in a lot of dispensaries when I walk in. Right. Because they want to be down so bad. Yeah. 100 percent. And it's it's just like and again, it's like, you know, I see it as like, for instance, like when our dispensary first started, it was it was actually it was a very it was a pretty diverse background. I mean, there was a lot of men at one point. There was a lot of women at another point. But like we had a lot of different, you know, ethnicities in there. But it was really cool because you could tell that everyone was like just really respectful, right? And they really like were were excited to hear everyone's opinions. It didn't matter if you were at the bottom of the totem pole, if you were a trimmer or you were a director, right? Like everyone had a say, right? Like when Keith used to run the kitchen, if you had an idea, 
you could go be like, hey, I got this idea. Like, I remember for those that are local to Massachusetts, I think this might be a national chain, but back in the day and a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, before I used to be healthy, I used to go to Texas Roadhouse. And I used to get, like, if for anyone who goes there, they have this cinnamon butter that yeah. is, like, legitimately like crack, I think. It like, is. It is so ridiculous. Good. And uh, we were making these uh, muffins or something that were medicated. And... I was like, oh, no, it was cornbread. We were making medicated cornbread. And I went into Keith and I was like, dude, you know what would be great if we had medicated cinnamon butter like Texas Roadhouse? Two weeks later, cinnamon butter hit the menu, right? And you know what that did? That allowed everyone there to feel like they were part of a of a community. They were part of a co-evolving business, right? Where it like everyone was helping that business run, that entity form. And that was such a special time, man, because – you know, that was when, again, we were, I believe, the seventh dispensary, sixth or seventh dispensary that was that was in Massachusetts at that point. So it was still very new, right? We're talking 2016, right? When, Lucky number seven. Yeah, Especially exactly. when it comes to the South Shore and next to the highway, people didn't have options. So we were popping. We would yeah. see so many people from different backgrounds. And I think that's what really caught my eye being a bud tender is seeing how many people from different ethnicities, from different social statuses were all in the same place because they all had a love for cannabis. Everybody smokes weed, but you never see it because a lot of people are still in the closet about it. But mm. being in a dispensary, you see it right in front of your eyes. You mm-hmm. know, there's the people wearing the suits. There's the little old lady. There's the stoner hippie kid. There's the mom who's about to go pick a kid up from weed. There's the teacher that just got off his shift. There's the lawyer that just fucking had a whole bunch of cases. There's the doctor. There's the male lady. Like everybody smokes weed. Like that's just so that's why like I knew that, but like seeing it in person just really moves you and you're like, all right, this is it. You know, this is a movement. You know, yeah. people are just excited just to be in the store purchase cannabis legally you know, they like never thought they'd live to see this day yeah and i think that's what really excited me as a bartender seeing those people's eyes light up making their first purchase and thinking oh my god i can do this and get away with it mm. I mean, that was just so crazy to me yeah they don't have to be looking over their shoulder for literally ingesting a plant right like let's just for a split second talk about the complete idiocracy of making a fucking plant illegal, right? Like how hilarious is it that humans, so the so-called most evolved species, and I'm doing that in quotations for those that can't, are not here in person and can't see that, right? This is a perfect example, and I won't go down a crazy esoteric rabbit hole here, but this is like the the biggest like red flag for how off track as a society we are, that not only are we deciding that nature is illegal, but we're also putting people in cages over using nature, right? Over interacting with a plant that just so happens to perfectly line up with the largest regulatory system in our entire body called the endocannabinoid system, right? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe we have an alcohol system in our body. I don't believe we have a pharmaceutical system in our body, right? And I'm not saying those things are bad or whatever, but the idiocracy of illegalizing a plant that literally there's evidence that our body has been ingesting and, and co-evolving with this plant for thousands and thousands, potentially even longer than that, years, like tens of thousands of years. And then we're, you know, allowing these things to happen and we're putting it under the veil of safety. Like we're keeping you safe by putting these things illegal. Like, yeah, that shit smells like office supplies. Sorry, definitely not sorry. <laughs> it's crazy. But I mean, that's just... The way things were, but you know, we're seeing it evolve, you know, more states are legalizing, you know, um, they just had MJ BizCon this past week and they just recorded record attendance. So most people are getting out and they want to be involved. They realize how uh, rapidly evolving the industry is. And it's really an exciting time to be in the industry. Big guy or a little guy. And 
a lot of people get discouraged, you know, by the hurdles that have been placed in our path, but I'm not one of those people. And, mm. you know, really that's, I have a lot to thank for. And I really want to touch on the Massachusetts social equity program. And so, um, for those unaware, this is a program designed by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts that is given cost-free, that allows individuals who have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs a chance to get a foothold in the industry and hopefully get the knowledge it takes to start their own business. And mm. so what's so special about Massachusetts is they set delivery licenses aside exclusively for participants of this program. So they have an exclusivity window. So for the first three years... Only social equity applicants can run adult use cannabis delivery operations. Mm. And that window does not begin until the first marijuana delivery operator commences operations, which is the last step in the licensing process. Mm. But it's been a crazy path to get to that marijuana delivery operator license. This time last year, it didn't even exist. So the original delivery license that they had in this state was just called the delivery only license. And that license was set up so you would have your location and you would have to contract with an adult use dispensary, take on all of their products already prepackaged, and everything you didn't sell at the end of the day, you would have to return to that store. So myself and a few other advocates found that to not be a financially feasible business model. Because on top of that, you have to have two drivers in the vehicle. You have to have two safes, one for product, one for cash. You have to have two additional cameras, one in the front, one in the back. And both drivers have to be wearing body cameras. In addition to this, you have to have what's called the host community agreement. Now, every cannabis business in Massachusetts has to have a host community agreement. It's not just specific to delivery. A host community agreement is a contract that's five years in length between the cannabis business and the municipality they're operating in, stating that they're going to pay them 3% of the annual gross sales, which is absurd. And there's no current oversight of these agreements, so they are ripe for extortion. So you'll see people will be like, if you want this agreement, I'm going to need a couple thousand dollars to this nonprofit and you're going to have to buy us a new fire truck and new police like that. And I have to build us a new playground. And even went so far in the city of Fall River, <laughs> who the mayor was my age, uh, Mayor Correa, he was extorting cannabis businesses for hundreds of thousands of dollars and 10 to 15 pounds of smokable cannabis flour. The feds originally, they eventually um, caught wind of it and he's sentenced to uh, six years in federal jail this last month. Mm. So there's still no oversight of that, of these agreements. Up in Haverhill, the mayor is going crazy over there, charging them hundreds of thousands of dollars in community impact fees and saying that because the cannabis businesses come to town, domestic violence has increased and drug use in teens have increased as well. And so he <laughs> needs these fees to offset those problems, which is just ludicrous, you know. Yeah, um, that doesn't make any sense. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, why are the people that are making these laws obviously never having ingested cannabis, right? Like, it's like, guy. Just ingest cannabis once and then tell me that you really think that domestic violence is going to come up. You really think that like teen drug use is going to come up. Like that is not the reason. Like people love to look at the external things, right? People love projecting and looking at everything instead of realizing like, no, the reason that kids are using drugs is because they have trauma, right? And they have trauma because their parents are usually have trauma, right? And it's like such a deeper issue, but that issue is much more challenging to actually tackle. So what do they say? Oh, cannabis is causing it. Exactly. It's just easy to throw under the bus because yeah, cannabis, cannabis has been the demon for so many years. People are going to go with it because mm -hmm. the war on drugs, which is a failed war on drugs, is mm -hmm. still, you know, reefer yeah. madness. That's yes, the word I'm looking yes, for. Yes. Yeah, reefer madness yes. is still alive and well. 
So, yeah, that's what's going on there. There's current bills in the legislature that will give the Cannabis Control Commission control of host community agreements, which is key. It would play a big, huge role in a lot of reform. Mm. So picture that you have to pay that 3% on top of you're running a delivery service. How do you make money on top of that if you're borrowing the product from a dispensary? You can only really make money from delivery fees, mm-hmm. you know, and cannabis is still federally legal. And so you can't get a traditional bank loan and you can't write off business expenses. Tax section code 280E states that any schedule on narcotic business cannot write off anything from no business expenses because Ronald Reagan brought that in um, into acts in the 80s because there's a cocaine dealer trying to write off his cocaine sellings as business expenses. So he created 280E, but nobody ever thought we'd have dispensaries in the 80s. So here we are now. So that's why I think cannabis should be scheduled instead of federally legalized. But that's a whole other conversation. Mm. So they have these delivery licenses. They're not going to make any money. The SEs are going to fail within the first couple of years. And really... After that exclusivity window was over and the dispensary could get into the game themselves, what incentive do they have to keep this courier around? They don't need you anymore. Mm. You can get into the game themselves. So that's what really sparks the creation of the Massachusetts Cannabis Association for Delivery. Myself, Chris Fevery, Aaron and Janelle Goins, Grant Smith was an advisor, and Morris Partee were all the ones who helped form that association. And we all did it virtually. We all did it all through, we all met through Facebook. We never know each other, really. <laughs> it was crazy. We just all voiced our concerns over the delivery license. And all the classes I took in the social equity program had nothing to do with delivery because the regulations didn't come out until the month after I finished the program. So that's where they get the textbook from, the regulations. How can you teach people if there's no regulations in place yet? So mm. everything I learned about delivery, I had to teach myself mostly. Mm. So. When I was going out networking for our expungement event, I was out in um South Station at this place called General Assembly, and Beth Waterfall put on a networking event around cannabis, and I just wanted people to come to expungement day. That's the only reason I really showed up. But I met somebody who's the co-founder of a company who I had no idea who it was at the time, but now I definitely know it was a company called Drizzly, an alcohol delivery service. I had no idea what Drizzly was. And here was the co-founder right in front of me and talking to me, Justin Robinson. And this is pre-COVID. So Drizzly was started right here in Boston, which I had no idea either by a bunch of Boston college kids who wanted on-demand alcohol service. You know, Drizzly is basically just like the alcohol um, Uber Eats. You know, mm-hmm. they go to your local liquor store and someone brings it right to you. That didn't exist really until Drizzly. They were the first ones to do that. And so Justin knew that adult use delivery was set aside for equity applicants. And so he wanted to partner up and talk to me, but I was just trying to get people to come to expungement day. I had no idea what Drizzly was. I had no idea about any of that. And he was like, Hey man, we need to work together. Let's do something. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, man, whatever you say to come to expungement day, you know, so a couple months go by. Justin's still blowing me up. He's still hitting me up. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, Flowing them off, not really messing around with them. Yeah. Um, people, mutual friends are hitting me up. They're like, hey, Justin really wants to talk to you, man. Um, you should like talk to him. I'm like, I don't know this guy. I don't know this guy. I'm, I'm good. You know, and then fast forward, uh, COVID hits, Drizzly blows up 500,000%. They become the Amazon of alcohol e commerce. They spread all across North America. 
And so they get so big, they create a sister company called Lantern. Lantern is the cannabis equivalent of Drizzly on demand cannabis delivery, but they can only do it for medical because, like I said before, adult use is set for equity applicants. So they created an incubator program. And part of that program is, you know, you apply for it and they help you get your business off the ground. So I'm like, all right, let me hit this dude off now. Now they're like, all right, yeah. I should probably hit this guy up. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Justin, what's up? You remember me? He's like, yeah, of course I remember you, man. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we have an incubator program. I think you should definitely apply for it. You'd be great for it. You know, you finished the equity program. You put on expansion clinics. Um, you're really well-known in the community. I think you'd be a perfect candidate. I'm like, all right, cool. So uh, myself and uh, 75 other people applied for it and myself and 300 people got accepted to it. And so that was in um, back in June of 2020, and that was all virtual. They were just teaching us um, just delivery tactics and leadership tactics and business tactics. But the key jewel of getting accepted into the incubator program for Lantern was they hooked us up with an attorney from Vicente Suderberg Pro Bono. So mm-hmm. our attorney works for us pro bono because we got into the Lantern program. And so when I in the Lantern program is where I met Christopher Fevery, who would eventually go on to help me start the association, mm. you know, because I got into that program. And so I would talk to them about the original delivery model. And I was like, guys, I don't think this model is going to work. You know, um, it doesn't seem feasible. And they, we need to create a whole new model. They're like, how are you going to create a whole new model? The Cannabis Control Commission will never go for that. Um, they depend on the dispensaries. I just don't see this new model you're talking about happening. You know, they've doubted me, you know, calling me a fool, you know, people <laughs> said I was, people said I was crazy to think I could create a whole new delivery model. Um, that would allow the delivery company to go directly to cultivators and product manufacturers buy in bulk and wholesale and store the facility overnight. That was the premise of what the new license wanted to be. That's what the idea we had. And that's what I wanted to go on. And when I would tell people that they would just laugh at me say that I was crazy and it would never happen. But Chris was the only one that took me serious. And Chris said, it was like, yo, that sounds good, man. I know, you know, a lot of people, you know, just get legit. Cause I was like, once this exclusivity window is over, it's going to be a competition to the bottom with this license type of set. Mm-hmm. So we need to have an alliance. We need to all be in this together and have each other's backs. And this new license, it's not going to allow that. And so we got some other people from the community. We met with the cannabis control commissioners. Once we formed our association, this is June, 2020. We meet with the commissioners. We tell them our concerns. We show them our financial projections and how this license type currently constructed is set up to fail. We need a whole new license type that'll make it viable and make it more independent for these equity applicants to go off and make a sustainable business that'll hopefully create generational wealth. Mm. And this license type will not meet those standards because they have an equity mandate in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to promote equity. It is written into state law, Mm. you know, so the delivery license is the most reasonable, attainable way for them to create equitable practices in the Massachusetts industry because it's set aside for equity applicants. So these delivery owners are all equity people. That's how you pump up the numbers by making a certain license type exclusive for a certain group. So they saw us, they saw how well constructed we were, how very well spoken we were. And in August of 2020, they voted for the zero unanimously to approve what is known as now the marijuana delivery operator license. Mm. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? I wanted to stop by while I had your ear and share a very special announcement with you. 
You may have heard people say that we are facing an epidemic of loneliness in the world right now. We believe that this is only half of the story, and that the real epidemic, and the root of feeling loneliness, is a lack of connection. Do you want to connect to more purpose and passion with the important work you are doing? Do you wish you had closer friendships with people who understand you, listen to you, and are truly present with you? Are you wishing you and your partner could move deeper into love together? The connection in all of these areas comes down to the one most important element of connection, the ability to connect with yourself. If you are ready to see change in your life, if you are ready to feel differently when you wake up in the morning, if you are ready to step into the life you envision for yourself, the first and only route to making these changes is settling in, quieting down, and being able to connect to yourself. Now, this can be a major challenge in today's world with media, culture, and other energies that pull us out of our ability to connect. When you've tried fitness, meditation, and other self-development practices, and still find yourself feeling alone and lacking connection, you may be feeling out of options and wondering if you'll ever be able to tap into your full potential that you know deep down is possible in your life. What we have found in working with our clients is that plant medicines, and cannabis in particular, can guide us in having the experience of what true connection looks and feels like. In this way, cannabis can act as a rite of passage for connection and a gateway toward the spouse, tribe, mission, and life you know you are ready for. Now the pitfall here is that many people become codependent on the medicines, such as cannabis, and expect the medicine to do the work for them. If this continues, what will happen is the user will find themselves reaching for more and more cannabis to feel connection without taking ownership of their role in the outcome of their experience, and thus they will fall into repeating the same painful patterns. As Zen Buddhism teaches, how you do anything is how you do everything. Therefore, if this painful pattern is showing up in your relationship with cannabis, it is likely a reflection of the same patterns you're experiencing in your friendships, romantic relationships, business, and your relationship with yourself. Learning to work with cannabis effectively will supercharge your experience and will help you get the result you are actually seeking, which is connection. We created a program to support seekers and high achievers like you in doing exactly this, to learn how to work with the healing power of cannabis to connect you back to yourself so you can unlock purpose, passion, and creativity in all areas of your life. What this program will give you is the long lost user manual for cannabis. This user manual will teach you how to connect with cannabis correctly so that the plant can act as your spiritual aid and ally in life, just as our ancestors understood and practiced. If you're ready to unlock the full power of cannabis, meet like-minded people on the same path as you, build more purpose into your life, and have the most fun doing homework you've ever had, this message is for you. To learn more and qualify for your spot in the program, hop over to our Instagram profile at highly.optimized and book a discovery call. The conscious cannabis revolution is here. Will you be joining us? Sending all of you love. Enjoy the rest of the show. That's dope, man. Yeah, like... You know, that's a perfect explanation of why, you know, a lot of times you're going to face adversity, especially if you're doing something that uh, is new, right? And for anyone listening, right, like this whole podcast is about showcasing conscious leaders who are doing things their own way, right? And, 
you know, for any of you listening that are currently feeling challenged because, you know, you believe in something that other people are maybe telling you, oh, that's stupid, or maybe no one else is doing it yet. You know, this is evidence right here of what Devin's saying that not only can you do it, but you have a duty to do it, right? Because think about how much opportunity was just opened for a lot of other people because of what you did, right? Like, think about how many people in the future now, how many other minorities, how many other, you know, people that otherwise would not be able to be included in this industry are now going to have a fighting chance to be in the industry because you said, I believe in this. I don't care if I look silly or foolish. I'm going to go do this. And so I'm curious for you, like, what have been, you know, some of the, you know, the ways in which you found confidence in yourself to be able to pave your own path and do this, right? Like, you know, it's one of the biggest challenges leaders face. Like, what do you do to be able to recharge your batteries and make sure that you're ready? Like, you know, how do you network? How do you meet new people? You know, how do you, what is the self-talk you give yourself to be able to get yourself into those meetings and go, no, I know I have a good idea and I'm going forward with it. Really, the people around me. I was very shy growing up. I never in a million years would have pictured myself as a public speaker and or, or an activist, you know. So it was really, I have to thank my tribe for instilling mm-hmm. the confidence in me. And really, former Commissioner Shaleen Title, she was a very big inspiration for me. She's a huge activist in the state. She, Social equity program was her baby. She's and, awesome. And just seeing her speak on the steps of the state house at CCC meetings really inspired me a lot. And, you know, um, me and you, we took Toastmasters classes to help mm-hmm. refine our public speaking skills. And just really just knowing I know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. That's what really gives me a lot of confidence. Like I am passionate about this. I've studied this. I've read the regulations. I know how we can do this. I'm showing you tangible evidence of how we can get there. That's what really put the confidence in me mm-hmm. and the whole community. Like, hey, man, you're the one doing it. Keep it going. You know, so... We started off small. We started off just talking to commissioners. The next thing you know, we're testifying publicly. Next thing you know, we're doing rallies. Next thing you know, I'm on the news. I'm in Boston Business Journal, Commonwealth Magazine. It's getting crazy. And it's just blowing <laughs> up. It's just going on. It's really, it was insane. Uh, it just happened so fast because we formed the association in June and created a whole new license by August. In mm. one of the hardest states to get a license in the country, we created a whole new license in two months. Like that mm. just doesn't happen anywhere. Mm. at all so so it's like literally like i haven't had time to stop and really take it all in it's been over a year and i'm still just like how the hell do we do that you know (laughs) well i mean a big part of it right and you know a lot of what i do in my coaching is teach people how to manifest the lives of their dreams and create their reality right and the 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 first step is knowing exactly where you're going to go and how you're going to feel when you get there right and you know when we were working at you know said dispensary uh there were many times where there would be dead spots and you know, what were you and I doing? I was researching growth stuff. You were researching business stuff, right? I mean, that was, you know, that was our passions in the industry. You know, I always was looking to be a lead cultivator and you were always looking from that point on anyway to, uh, break off and run your own business in some way, shape or form. And so, you know, really like we were putting ourselves in those shoes before we had actually had those shoes, which is what Joe Dispenza talks about in manifestation and creating your own reality and all of these things. And so, you know, this is perfect evidence that even though, you know, you might not have known and I didn't know at that point that this is how you create your reality. I mean, it's pretty it's it's easy to tap into that as human nature, right? Like it's 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 fun to do something you love. 
get excited about it and use your imagination, right? Like we are all magicians as human beings and our most powerful tool is our imagination. If you can imagine it where attention goes, energy flows, right? And, you know, this is the funny part too, is that if you can dream in something and if you're truly interested in something, people are going to be interested in you, right? That's what is attractive to people, right? Like for anyone listening and for anyone in this room too, like ask yourself anytime you've seen someone that has caught your eye, I guarantee in some way, shape or form, that person has been passionate about something they're doing in life, right? They're a trendsender, right? They're a change maker. They're an entrepreneur. They're someone who just loves their job, right? And is excited to talk about it, right? And not in a way where they want to complain about what's wrong, but they're like, yeah, this is amazing. This is happening. And I'm really excited. And this is, you know, and then because those people are going to be more apt to say, hey, what do you got going on? What's, what are you excited about? Right. And that is the whole idea of a battery charger, right? Like we have this opportunity in life to become battery chargers for each other and be able to hype each other up. And personally, like what you explained is cannabis culture. What cannabis culture is, is helping out your fellow brothers and sisters, is being able to rely on people, right? Being able to feel like you have a community, a family, right? Even if you've never met these people, you've never met them in person, like they got your back. Why? Because you have a shared interest and a shared passion. And that is the true special sauce to the entire experience of life, if you ask me. No, I'd have to agree, man. You know, I think that's just so beautiful about the industry. We've all come together over this beautiful, natural, peaceful plant. And if you're in it for money, you're not going to last. I think that's been proven <laughs> time and time again. Um, it, this industry really has a way of highlighting who's in it for real reasons and who's not. You know, um, you can, you're going to see that, you know, in this industry, it's going to be very apparent to you. You know, yes. um, it's crazy in some industries, people really, it doesn't matter who the CEO is. They just care about the product, you know, like, since take for instance Chick Fil A, if people really care about the CEO, Chick Fil A would never do business. They just care about the product. Mm-hmm. But cannabis is different. The cannabis consumer is very conscious now, and they're seeing who they support. They're like, I don't want to give my money to this person. Let me give my money to that person. People really don't care between Chick Fil A, Popeyes, and KFC. They just want the best chicken sandwich. But now yeah. cannabis consumers are becoming more conscious and be like, well, this brand is owned by a young African American man, and this brand is owned by a middle aged white man who used to do real estate and has several sexual harassment charges against him. So, yeah. Like, who, who, <laughs> Who should we go? Who should we go support here? Yeah, I think that's what's so awesome and unique about it is really it gives you a chance to really be yourself Mm. and be unique and really bring to you. That's what I really wanted Rolling Leaf to be um, something from the streets. I really want it to be a lifestyle. I don't want it to be um, disconstricted to cannabis or cannabis delivery. I want it to be a lifestyle. I want to have a roll and relief skateboarding team. I want to have like a roll and relief music label. I want to do a lot of different roll and relief stuff. So that's really just the beginning. Mm. And just the name, I really just, I love, I adore the name so much. Mm. And um, I, it came up to me when I have my best thoughts. I have my best ideas at five in the morning, right when I wake up and mm. right you know, it's very, one of the very few times that is completely silent. Mm. I write at five in the morning and if you ever wake up and then fall right back to bed and have like a bunch of crazy dreams, it's just so weird. I don't know why, but like your mind is very active at that particular point in time. So that's why I sleep with a notebook next to my bedstand because I'll wake up and I'll have all these crazy ideas and they'll just pop in my head and I have to write them down before I forget. And I just like woke up one day and I just saw it and just popped into my head. It's like rolling leaf. I was like, 
There it is. It's, it's perfect. It's like a quadruple entendre. It just means so many different things. And, you know, your own relief can also be a retail store as well. It can also be a cultivation spot as well. It can be so many different things. But like, we're going to start off with delivery and then we'll branch out to whole different aspects of the game. So I'm really excited about it. You know, it's been a long path. The application for our license just came out on the last day of May of this year. So we had everything in place once that application came out. Um, we have a location down in Middleborough. Our landlord has like 75 acres of land. He's building a cannabis campus and he's putting a bunch of cultivators, product manufacturers all in the same plot of land. And he's just a 2,100 square feet of warehouse space. So we can walk to the left, find product, walk to the right, find products. So I'm really excited to see the finished products when it's all said and done. So the application came out last day. Um, so special about delivery and what's diff- different from other licenses in the state is they have what's called pre-certification. Pre-certification is basically the equivalent of getting pre-approved for a mortgage. So you have to write multiple SOPs, your business plan and your plan to obtain general liability insurance. You send it into the Canvas Control Commission. They say, okay, this person knows what they're doing. And in theory, that's supposed to ease the process of obtaining real estate and obtaining investment because you already have been co-signed by the Cannabis Control Commission. Like, this guy knows what he's doing. You should, like, give him some money. But I don't really know who they help so far with that. But, you know, <laughs> God, God bless them. You know, yeah. they're, they're trying. You know, that's what counts. But in some ways, it kind of slows down the process because they say, like, you still have to go through that to get to the next part of the application. Some other people don't have to go through that pre-certification. They just go straight to that and mm. they're very, and they're able to move faster because they didn't have to get pre-certified. Mm. But well, in time will tell if really it really is. But for me personally, it's kind of slowed me down because I now I had to wait for passing the pre-certification send it in you know there's some certain aspects of it that they want more information on so they send you it's called an rfi a request for more information then you send it back again then you go to the next part of the packet which is the provisional license and that's when you have to show that you have your host community agreement you have to have your location and you have to have what's called a positive impact plan how you're going to positively impact the community that you're operating in and a diversity plan how you're going to hire a diverse crew of members from like say the veteran group the lgbtq plus community disabled people who've uh, been past incarcerated things like that Mm. so we are now waiting to get on the agenda they only have meetings once a month the ccc so once your application gets deemed complete, you have to go and get your fingerprints done at a certain location, and then you have to go and pay for background checks for people that are named on your application. Mm. So our application was deemed complete back on September 10th, and we are now waiting, hopefully, to get on the agenda for November so we can finally receive our provisional license. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, it's like... You know, for anyone listening, you're probably like, wow, it's a process. Yes, it is. I mean, Massachusetts is one of the, like Devin said, one of the most challenging states to get a license in of any sort. And it's come a long way. Like you might think like that's like that needs to change. Well, yes. And it's also it's come a long way because when the medical industry was the only entity alive here before recreational, I mean, to get a license, 
you had to have, I believe it was a million dollars in the bank, right? Like just readily available, right? And that's not including all the money it takes to build a building, have a vertically integrated system, which for those listening means that you have every single part of that cannabis business under one roof, cultivation, processing, the lab, uh, you know, the retail, everything. That was the only available license when medical first came out. So, I mean, imagine, right? The, the people that got in on that at that time, like what quality of people would take advantage of being, having to have millions of dollars around to get into the cannabis industry and ask yourself how many people that you know are true cannabis people that have millions of dollars at their, at their disposal, right? Like there are some, but what kind of people have that kind of money more likely, right? Real estate people, finance people, people that again, aren't necessarily bad people, but don't understand what cannabis culture is about. And so therefore, the cannabis business and the energy that's associated with it has a really awkward vibe. I mean, this is, you know, when when you also have businesses that uh, take that much money to create, you have much more of a challenge when it comes to what happens if a harvest fail, fails for mold, right? Well, those people are going to be losing their ass unless they try to find some way to pass that through, right? Uh, how much are your employees going to get paid? Probably not that much, right? So you can see how this is a really slippery slope. And that's why all the work that Devin's been doing, all the work that the state has been doing to, you know, with recreational and being able to allow these licenses to actually be feasible for the average person to get a chance at has been really impactful and really exciting, you know? And in theory, it sounds great, right? Strict regulations help medicine be higher quality. Quality. But unfortunately, a lot of the things that are stricter are things that really are are not that important as compared to like, hey, what is the quality of the medicine you're putting out, right? Especially for the medical industry. I mean, a lot of people that we were working with when we worked at the dispensary had cancer, had autoimmune disorders, had epilepsy, uh, were very, you know, elderly, right? Had no idea what they were getting into, right? And you know, it was very fortunate that, you know, there are a lot of really good bud tenders in Massachusetts and a lot of people that at ground level are very passionate about cannabis. But it was really up to us as bud tenders to educate those people and make sure they were making uh, wise and intentional choices, right? You don't want an elderly lady going home and thinking that a 100 milligram edible is a starter dose, right? So like, I mean, these things are like, you know, there's a lot that, you know, we were passionate about when it came to being bud tenders that, you know, really set us up for success and really set the people that we served up for success. And so like, yes, regulations can be great, right? But at the same time, you know, I firmly believe that the people that are making these laws should be people that interact with cannabis. I know it's a crazy thing to think about that the people that make the laws should actually understand about cannabis. But you can tell that I imagine in many other states too. I'm just local to Massachusetts, so that's what we're talking about. But you can tell like whoever made that law never smoked weed in their life, right? Ever, right? You can just tell because that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. You see it all over the country. Um, and South Dakota, you know, the Jesuit voted to legalize <laughs> both medical and adult use. And they're just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. They're going strictly against the uh, will of the voters. Same thing mm-hmm. in down in Mississippi. They voted for medical and got judges like, no. So, you know, Massachusetts has its things, but, you know, it could always be worse. That's why Absolutely, I got to remind man. myself, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, 
why I'm still here in Massachusetts. Why not go to a state that's easy to get a license? And, um, if you go to Oklahoma, all you need is $5,000 and a pulse and get a cannabis license. But, <laughs> but, then, you, but then you have to live in Oklahoma. And that's a yes. downside to all that. So <laughs> that's I, the price like, to pay for that. Exactly. So Massachusetts is my home. I've been here my whole life. And I'm not going to let a bunch of Chad and Brads come in here and try to dictate <laughs> what I do in my home state, in my own backyard. You know, I'm holding it down. And I ain't going nowhere. Mm. Yeah, man. That's like, you know, that's the realest of the real right there, you know? And it's funny too, because we, like we mentioned before, we saw that stuff come in, right? And, and again, like there's a big thing with cannabis as opposed to alcohol, as opposed to pharmaceuticals, right? Not only is it natural and all the obvious things, right? But there's a certain energy to it. This is a spiritual medicine, right? It's been used for thousands and thousands of years to tap people in to a deeper sense of who and what they truly are. And so, Every human has access to this, whether you interact with cannabis or not. And that's why you'll be able to tell right off the bat, right, when you walk into a dispensary, what the quality of that dispensary is. And it won't make any logical sense to you, right? You might not know anyone there. You might not have heard anything about the company. The business might look clean. It might be inviting, right? But there might be something that's telling you something here is not right. Listen to that cue. And so I'm curious, you know, for you, Deb, like, what would you give the listeners in terms of like some things to ask their bud tenders or things to watch out for when they go into a dispensary to ensure they're putting their money in the right places? Have you ever met your CEO? Mm. You get a lot of times, a lot of bud tenders have never even met their CEO ever, not once. Um, what does your positive impact plan looks like? Because if you're going into an adult use dispensary, I guarantee you they've written a positive impact plan and they have to live up to that. So every year, you know, you have to get your license renewed. And so at that meeting, they use your positive impact plan as like a progress report. They're like, okay, this is what you said you're going to do. Did you do any of these things? Oh, it looks like you're not getting your license renewed. So I guarantee you every single adult use dispensary that you're walking into has a positive impact plan. Will their buttenders know it? Probably not. But I think that's something that buttenders should know. You mm. know, you have, what are their goals that your boss set out that says, what are you guys going to accomplish? Mm. And that may even question the buttenders. Like, how much do I even know about my own damn company? Like, mm-hmm. holy shit, how transparent are my bosses being? Uh, how is this all operating? Uh, are you donating to any nonprofits? Are you doing anything for expungement? Are you doing anything for community cleanups? Are you doing any food drives? Simple things like that. You know, I think... You know, we do have to have a mandate for positive impact plans, but some people just do the basic, the bare minimum. You know, we've, you got to go above and beyond. Uh, I want to give a shout out to the first black owned cannabis company in the state of Massachusetts, which just so happens to be on the island of Nantucket. It's called mm. Green Lady Dispensary. And they have, without a doubt, the best positive impact plan I've seen out of any other business. They pay for people for a mentorship program. So if you go on their website and fill out an application for the mentorship program and you get accepted to it, they'll pay for your ferry ticket and they'll pay for your lodging and they'll teach you a single track, either product manufacturing, retail, cultivation. They'll teach you in their own facility because they have it all under one roof on their own Mm. facility. So they'll pay for you to come out and put you up and teach you hands-on about a certain thing. And I think... I can't have seen anything else better than that, you know? So shout out to them. Like that's really like going above and beyond and really just helping them. You know, there's a lot of the same things on the menu in the adult use market because at the current state is monopolized by two cannabis companies, revolutionary clinics and Sarah naturals. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are supplying a lot of people. And so they're doing 
what's called bundling, right? So medical dispensaries have to be vertically integrated, which means they have to produce all their own things. Adult use dispensaries can just have the retail shop be a storefront. So they have to wholesale their product from otherwhere. So what these companies are doing is they're bundling. They're saying, all right, if you want this flower at wholesale, you're going to have to take these edibles that nobody wants and we can't get off as well mm. if you want this flower or else you're not going to get it. So these dispensaries, you know, they have them, their backs against the wall. They have to do it because they need the flower. Mm. So now they're stuck with dispensaries. Now they spent a certain budget on the edibles and flour. And so when the independent brands come to them, they don't have money in their budget left because or shelf space because they already have all these other edibles. So that's what's going on right now in the industry. And there's a lot of shadiness, but we're starting to see more independent cultivators and independent product manufacturers come online, which is great. Uh, Coast Cannabis, or well, the CEO, Angela Brown, is the first independent product manufacturer. They're, um, they make infused chocolate bars, um, small chocolate bars, birthday cake, cookies and cream. Mm. Those are the other chocolate bars they make. Freshly Baked, the first social equity certified micro business. They make amazing gummies. And then just recently, uh, Major Bloom out in Worcester, they just became the first black-owned product manufacturer in the whole Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So That's Ulysses, right? Ulysses Youngblood. Yeah. yeah, so Ulysses has been great. Lori Lucian is also um, the CEO of Major Bloom. And it's cool, too, because Lori is also the owner of the first black female-owned brewery in Massachusetts, 67 Degrees, based out in Franklin, Mass. So she's the first black-owned woman brewery the first black woman known cannabis product manufacturer and she was also my teacher in the social equity program mm. so she is just <laughs> crushing it right now and she is just a really dope amazing human being she also is a professor at suffolk university on cannabis law and she's also a lawyer she's just yeah she's a real big inspiration and she's just force. she is a force to be reckoned with she is yeah. an immigrant from haiti um, and she really just worked her way up from the bottom and now is just killing it hell yeah that's amazing, man. I mean, you know, that's the thing, right? Is like, you know, cannabis, if you want to get spiritual about it, is about love, right? It's about, you know, really coming together. And you can feel that, right? Like, you can feel like, you know, when I walk into a dispensary, I can tell right off the bat. Like, I was out in Oregon recently, and I walked into this dispensary, and it was awesome, right? Like, it was the exact culture that I knew right away. The people were super excited. I was talking to the guy. He was giving me, like, he's like, oh, here's what I'm growing at home, blah, blah, blah. I was like, hey, how are they paying you? He's like, dude, they're paying awesome. Like, you can just tell when they're vibrant with energy that they're excited, right? Like, when we used to work at said dispensary, you know, before uh, the takeover, I mean, it was a party in there constantly, right? And I'm not talking like an irresponsible party. I'm talking everyone was on their shit, right? Completely on their shit. But it was so much fun. I mean, we had the best jams. We had the best people. People, like, we had patients come in all the time saying like i didn't even need anything today i just really wanted to come in and hang with you guys right yeah, like yeah. that's what you want to see when you walk into a dispensary that's a telltale sign that you're putting the money and you're putting your money in the right place and again your dollars matter right these big companies only exist the the, the challenged ones they only exist because we're giving them money right so if you want to put the money in the right if you put the money in the right place then the right places will continue to get bigger and the the true cannabis right the cannabis that actually helps you feel good the cannabis that is high quality and the cannabis that is actually a full spectrum approach to how they run their business will win and that is the vision i have for the cannabis industry around the world yeah man you're making me almost tear up thinking about how good <laughs> you know there's a way more simpler time you yeah. know, when we were working the front of the house 
We had Spotify playing with literally whatever single song we wanted. Yes. And people were just happy to be there. You mm-hmm. know, it didn't care all the bullshit that was coming on the horizon. We were just living in the moment and mm-hmm. just leaning on one another. I, mm. I'll say still to this day, that's the best group of people I've got to call coworkers mm. and at dispensary. Same. I've had a lot of jobs, but like just, I just felt so at home and just could be myself and really brought out the best of everybody. Mm. And everyone was just so comfortable being their self and being authentic and being real and like hanging out outside of work. Like mm-hmm. I would never hang out with a lot of my old coworkers in the past outside of work. I'd go home and do my own thing, but like we take trips, go on vacation meet each other's parents, do all this stuff. That was just us. That was mm-hmm. the culture. That's what strengthened our bonds. Mm-hmm. And it just made us last through all the bullshit because we were so tight knit, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what brought in the customers because we created the culture. It wasn't the products. I'll tell you that. They weren't coming <laughs> in to buy the fucking weed. They were coming in to see us and yeah. fucking chit chat us and get info and just feel like they know because we remembered people's faces, remember their names, remember their interests. We would see them outside of the spot and we would tell them, we would remember what they liked, what they didn't like, you know, and that's what people appreciated. And that's what I really want to push Roll and Relief is having that culture, is having those regulars, making it a place that you're excited to come to. Like, word, I get to wake up and go to work tomorrow. Like, this is sick. This is not like, this isn't work. You call this work? Yeah, I'm you're having excited. A blast. Like, you're yeah. excited. <laughs> you know, I want to make it somewhere where people, like, it's a job that you want to get into. Like, the application process is so selective. I'm like, damn, you got a job Roll and Relief. You're so lucky. I wish, oh my God. Yeah. Incentivize people to better themselves to make sure they qualify and meet those standards. Yeah. Pay for them to be able to, you know, if they have questions, right, be able to answer their questions, be able to give them help and resources, right? Like that was one of the best aspects of our job was, you know, people would come in and they'd be genuinely curious about a lot of different things. And all of us were so well versed on, you know, different topics, right? Like I would love talking to patients about grow, right? Grow is legal here in Massachusetts. So people would come in and be curious about, you know, how to grow. I'd be like, here, go buy seeds of this place here, buy this tent, whatever. It was a full spectrum approach, right? They could come in and they were getting so much more than what they were quote unquote paying for. Right. And it really did become a family. And, you know, I'll always cherish those times because they really allowed me to evolve so much and then the second half of it really allowed me to realize I needed to go out on my own and that was a great gift too and same with you and same with a lot of different people that worked there and so man it was so amazing and you know I'll always hold those memories and it's so amazing to get to catch up with you and see all the gangster stuff you're doing man and how much you're really holding true to true cannabis culture and how much you're putting that intention out there to always come through with the highest quality medicine the highest quality work ethic the highest quality business the highest quality community and I'm just curious you know where can I send people to stay up to date on rolling relief on what you're doing personally where can people find you online to connect with you all that stuff yeah so our instagram is at rolling underscore relief and then our website we just got all tuned up nice and spiffy www.rollingrelief.org we're going to be at the harvest cup um, i'm a judge for the harvest cup this year out in worcester the dcu center um, that's november 13th and it's also number 14th as well. If you're in the area, definitely come pop on out. We'll try to have some merchandise on us. We can definitely hook you up with some nice shirts. Uh, hopefully we have some rolling papers we can give you as well. And hopefully, you know, we'll be operational the first quarter of 2022. And then we could put the weed on wheels and bring it right to your front door. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> well, dude, I got one last question for you, man. And that is this. If someone listening could only make one change to highly optimize their life, what would Devin Alexander suggest that change be? 
Live in the moment. Don't dwell on the past too much. The past is over. And don't think about the future too much or anticipate it because that can create anxiety at times. Just take it day by day. You know, don't compare yourself to others. It's not a race. Move at your own pace, no matter how long it takes you. Whatever goals you have, you know, you want to get that new car. You want to buy that new house. You want to take that vacation. Just brick by brick, lay the foundation, step by step. You'll get there. Don't worry about what others are doing. The only person you should compare yourself to is the person you were yesterday. I fucking love it, man. The time is now, people, to enjoy the journey. And guys, as I said in the intro, Devin and I had the opportunity to work together for years, as we discussed, and go through our collective dark night of the soul of having the company we loved and helped build be bought out by people who were only interested in the dollar signs associated with cannabis. Having the opportunity to watch him grow into the force in the entrepreneurial space that he currently is has been an amazing journey to be witness to. And trust me when I say that his mark on the world is only just beginning to scratch the surface. Devin is a true testament to cannabis culture and what this plant is all about, which is inclusion, equality, and love. For anyone who is located in Massachusetts or plans to visit here at some point, keep Rolling Relief in mind when you are interested in purchasing legal cannabis here as knowing Devin... Only the finest products grown and manufactured with the most care will end up on his shelves. Devin, thank you once again for holding true to your values, for being such a powerful voice in an industry riddled with challenges stemming from inequality and corporate greed, and for being one of the realest of the real on planet Earth. And until next time, my friend, journey well, be well. Much love over to you, brother. Namaste. What is up, everybody? I hope you are all enjoying the show, and I wanted to stop by real quick and share a little bit about our latest podcast sponsor, Freedom Builders. Now, Freedom Builders are a team of graphic designers, website creators, videographers, social media marketing experts, and coaches that build out your custom online business from A to Z. This is a done-for-you service, which means they do the work for you while you get to put your focus back on what you love most, which is coaching your clients and bringing in sales. Now, as a former online fitness coach, Mike knows where your struggle points are and exactly how to help you overcome them. This is why he created Freedom Builders, so that you can scale your business while protecting your time and your energy. Now, you guys know that delegation is a business superpower, and you can activate this superpower today by scheduling a complimentary call with Mike at freedombuilders with a Z on the end.com so you can start building the freedom that allows you to take your business to the next level. Alex and I recently connected with Freedom Builders for our Connect with Cannabis build out, and we could not have been happier with the results. With Mike and his team, they were able to go through an outline and create a personalized program for our experience, develop our brand identity, build and design a custom branded web page, professionally edit our program video content custom design all of our slide presentations, automate our email marketing sequences, create a seamless payment system for our offer, design unique infographics for our social media content, and guide us through our proven launch blueprint to generate organic leads through our social media. So if you're a coach, facilitator, or healer listening to this ad right now, and you are looking to put freedom back into your life, once again, go to freedombuilders, with a Z on the end, dot com and book your complimentary call today. 
I hope you all enjoy the rest of the show, and I'm wishing you the best day ever.